0: Hello and welcome to the First Person Drunk podcast. Today we are reading Danny's Own Story by Don Marquis, Chapter 12, which marks the halfway point of Danny's Own Story. Thanks for hanging in there so far. Hope you are enjoying it. As always, First Person Drunk is brought to you by me, Miles Tabor. The Public Domain and Whiskey. Any errors in the text are the fault of one of those. I was down in the professor's laboratory one day, and that was a queer place. There was every kind of scientifics that has ever been discovered in it. Some was pickled in bottles, and some was stuffed, and some was pinned to the walls with their wings spread out. If you took hold of anything, it was likely to be a skull and give you the shivers, or some electric contraption and shock you, and if you tipped over a jar and it broke, Enough germs might get loose to slaughter a whole town. I was helping the professor to unpack a lot of stuff some friends had sent him, and I noticed a bottle that had on to it blowed in the glass. Daniel, Dunn, and Company. That's funny, says I out loud. What is? Asked the professor. I showed him the bottle and told, told him how I was named after the company that made him. He says to look around me. There is all kinds of glassware in that room, bottles and jars and queer-shaped things with crooked tails and noses, and nigh every piece of glass the Professor owns is made by that company." "'Why,' says the Professor, "'their factory is in this very town.'" and nothing would do for me, but I must go and see that factory. I couldn't till the quarantine was pried loose from our house, but when it was, I went downtown and hunted up the place and looked her over. It was a big factory, and I was kind of proud of that. I was glad she wasn't no measly little old-fashioned run-down concern. Of course, I wasn't really no relation to it, and it wasn't none to me, but... I was named for it, too, and it come about as near to being a family as anything I had ever had or was likely to find, so I was proud it seemed to be doing so well. I thinks, as I looks at her, of the thousands and thousands of bottles that has been coming out of there for years and years, and will be for years and years to come, and one bottle not so much different from another one. And all that was really knowed about me was just the name on one out of all them millions and millions of bottles. It made me feel kind of queer when I thought of that, as if I didn't have no separate place in the world any more than one of them millions of bottles. If anyone will shut his eyes and say his own name over and over again for quite a spell, he will get kind of wonderized and mesmerized at doing it. He will begin to wonder who the dickens he is anyhow, and what he is, and what the difference between himself and the next fella is. He will wonder why he happens to be himself, and the next fella himself. He wonders where himself leaves off, and the rest of the world begins. I've been that way myself, all wonderized. So that I felt just like I was a melting piece of the whole creation, and it was all shifting and drifting and changing and flowing, and not solid anywhere. And I could hardly keep myself from flowing into it. It makes a person feel awful queer, like seeing a ghost would. It makes him feel like he wasn't no solider than a ghost himself. Well. If you ever done that and got that feeling, you know what I mean. All of a sudden, when I'm trying to take in all them millions and millions of bottles, it rushed on to me that feeling strong. Thinking of them bottles had somehow brung it on. The bigness of the hull creation and the smallness of me and the gait at which everything was racing and rushing ahead made me want to grab hold of something solid and hang on. I reached out my hand, and it hit something solid all right. It was a fella who was wheeling out a hand truck loaded with boxes from the shipping department. I had been standing by the shipping department door, and I reached right again him. He wants to know if I am drunk or a blanked fool, so after some talk of that kind, I borrows a chew of tobacco off him, and we gets right well acquainted. I helped him finish loading his wagon, and rode over to the freight depot with him, and helped him unload her. Lifting one of them boxes down from the wagon, I got such a shock i like to have dropped her. For she was marked, so many dozen, glass, handled with care, and she was addressed to Dr. Hartley L. Kirby, Atlanta, Georgia. I managed to get that box onto the platform without busting her, and then I sets down on top of her awful week. What's the matter? asked the fella I was with nothing says I you look sick he says and I was feeling that away. maybe I do says I and it's enough to shake a feller up to find a dead man come to life sudden like this great snakes no says he looking all around where but I didn't stop to chew the rag none I left him right there with his mouth wide open staring after me like I was crazy Half a block away, I looked back, and I seen him double over and slap his knee and laugh loud like he had heard a big joke, but what he was laughing at, I never knew. I was tickled. Tickled? Yeah, just so tickled, I was plumb foolish with it. The doctor was alive after all. I kept saying it over and over to myself. He hadn't drowned nor blowed away, and I was gonna hunt him up. I had a little money. The professor had paid it to me. He had given me a job helping take care of his horses and things like that and wanted me to stay. And I had been thinking maybe I would for a while, but not now. I calculated I could grab a ride that very night that would put me into Evansville the next morning. I figured If I catched a through freight from there on the next night, I might get where he was almost as quick as them bottles did. I didn't think it was no use writing out my resignation for the professor, but I got quite a bit of grub from Biddy Malone to make a start on, for I didn't figure on spending no more money than I had to on grub. She asked me a lot of questions, and I had to lie to her a good deal, but I got the grub. And at ten that night, I was in an empty, bumpin' along south, along with a cross-eyed fella named Looney Hogan, who happened to be traveling the same way. Riding on trains without paying fare ain't always the easy thing it sounds. It is like a trade that has got to be learned. There is different ways of doing it. I have done every way frequent, except one. That I give up after trying a two three times. That is riding the rods down underneath the cars with a piece of board put across them to lay yourself on. I never want to go anywheres again bad enough to ride the rods. Because sometimes you arrive where you are going to partly smeared over the trucks and in no condition for to be made welcome to our city, as Dr. Kirby would say. Sometimes you don't arrive. Every once in a while you read a little piece in a newspaper about a man being found alongside the tracks, considerable cut up or laying right across to them, maybe. He is held in the morgue a little while, and no one knows who he is, and none of the train crew knows they has run over a man, and the engineer says they wasn't none on the track. More likely, that fella has been riding the rods along about the middle of the train. Maybe he let himself go to sleep and just rolled off. Maybe his piece of board slipped and he fell when the train jolted, or maybe he just naturally made up his mind he would rather let loose and get squashed than get any more cinders into his eyes. Riding the blind baggage or the bumpers gives me all the excitement I wants, or all the gambling chance to either. Others can have the rods for all of me. And they is some people actually says they like some best. A good place, if it is winter time, is the feed rack over a cattle car. For the heat and steam from all them steers in there will keep you warm. But don't crawl in no lumber car that is only loaded about half full, and short lengths and bundles of lathes and shingles in her, for they is likely to get to shifting and bumping. Bailed hay is pretty good sometimes. Myself, not being like these bums that is too proud to work, I have often helped the fireman shovel coal and paid for my ride that away. way but an empty, for general purposes, will do about as well as anything. This feller Looney Hogan that was with me was kind of a harmless critter, and he didn't know just where he was going, nor why. He was mostly scared of things, and if you spoke to him quick, he shivered first, and then grinned idiotic so you wouldn't kick him. And when he talked, he had a silly little giggle. He had been made that-a-way in a reform school, where they took him young and tried to work the cussedness out in him by batting him around. They worked it out, and pretty nigh everything else along with it, I guess. Looney had had a partner whose name was Slim, he said, but a couple years before, Slim had fell overboard off in a barge up to Duluth and never come up again. Looney knowed Slim was drowned all right, but he was always traveling around looking at tanks and freight depots and switch shanties for Slim's mark to be fresh cut with a knife somewheres, so he would know where to follow and catch up with him again. He knowed he would never find Slim's mark, he said, but he kept a-looking, and he guessed that was the way he got the name of Looney. Looney left me at Evansville. He said he was going east from there, he guessed, and I went along south. But I was hindered considerable being put off of trains three or four times and having to grab these here slow local freights between towns all the way down through Kentucky. Anywhere south of the Ohio River and east of the Mississippi River, trainmen is grouchier to them they thinks is bums than north of it anyhow, and in some parts of it if a real bum gets pinched heaven help him for nothing else won't one night between 12 and 1 o'clock i was put off of a freight train for the second time in a place in the northern part of tennessee right near the kentucky line i sat down in a lumber yard near the railroad track and when she started up again i grabbed on to the iron ladder and swung myself aboard but the brake man was watching for me, and clumbed down the ladder and stamped on my fingers, so I dropped off, with one finger considerable mashed, and sat down in that lumber yard, wondering what next. It was a dark night, and so far as I could see, there wasn't much moving in that town; only a few places was lit up, one was way across the town square from me and it was the telephone exchange with a man operator reading a book in there the other was the telegraph room in the depot about a hundred yards from me and there was only two fellers in it both smoking the main business part of the town was built up around the square Like lots of old-fashioned towns is, and there was just enough brightness from four, five electric lights to show the shape of the square and be reflected from the windows of the closed-up stores. I knowed there was likely a watchman somewheres about too. I guessed I wouldn't wander around none and run no chances of getting took up by him, so. I was getting ready to lay down on top of a level pile of boards and go to sleep, when I hear a curious kind of noise away off, like it must be at the edge of town. It sounded like quite a bunch of cattle might shuffling along a dusty road. The night was so quiet, you could hear things plain from a long ways off. It growed a little louder and a little nearer, and then it struck a plank bridge somewheres and come across it with a clatter. Then I knowed it wasn't cattle. Cows and steers don't make that cantering kind of noise as a rule. They trot. It was horses crossing that bridge, and they was quite a lot of them. As they struck the dirt road again, I hearn a shot, and then another, and another, then a dozen, all to once, and away off through the night, a woman screamed. I seen the man in the telephone place fling down his book, and grab a pistol from I don't know where. He stepped out into the street and fired three shots into the air as fast as he could pull the trigger, and as he done so, there was a light flashed out in a building way down the railroad track, and shots come answering from there. Men's voices began to yell out. There was the noise of people running along plank sidewalks and windows opening in the dark. Then, with a rush, the galloping noise come nearer, come close, raced by the place where I was hiding, and nigh a hundred men with guns swept right into the middle of that square and pulled their hosses up. This has been the First Person Drunk Podcast. Today was Danny's Own Story by Don Marquis, Chapter 12. And once again, as always, First Person Drunk is brought to you by The Public Domain, by me, Miles Tabor, and by Delicious Whiskey.